It's Monday, May 15th. I'm Trayvell Anderson. And I'm Juanita Tolliver, and this is What A Day, the daily news podcast that celebrates all moms. Especially in the words of season three winner of American Idol Fantasia, Baby Mamas. (laughs) You caught me off guard with that one. But actually, those are the true superstars of Mother's Day. Come on. Absolutely. On today's show, a truce has been called to end days of fighting between Israel and Palestinian militants. Plus, Brittany Griner hit the court for the first time since her release from Russian custody last year. Oh, I'm just so thrilled that she's back to doing what she loves. Yeah. But first, the presidential election in Turkey is heading to a runoff election as neither President Tayyip Erdogan nor rival Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu cleared the 50% threshold to win. Considering that Erdogan has been in power for 20 years, not winning 50% of the vote shows how the population of Turkey is probably ready for someone new. But now all eyes turn to May 28th when the runoff election will take place. Now, this outcome isn't without question, as there were claims from Kalish Daoulou that some vote counts were being blocked by repeated objections. Naturally, he took to Twitter, the same app that Erdogan has been known to block in Turkey during moments of crisis, and the opposition leader tweeted, quote, do not block the will of this nation. I call out to our democracy workers on the field, never leave the ballot boxes and election boards. We are here until every single vote is counted. Juanita, it's giving deja vu, no Beyonce, and I don't like it. We know this too well, sadly. Absolutely. Okay, so going into this election, was Erdogan expected to win? Well, this election was considered a little bit of an uphill battle for Erdogan, and that's to put it mildly. Going into the polls, Erdogan and Kalish Daoulou were neck and neck. And that's not great when you've been leading the country for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Not to mention, this was the first time that a 50% threshold was put in place after a public referendum. So it's a brand new hurdle for Erdogan. When you add that to the virtual tie in the polls, it's not a good start at all. Another reality is that Erdogan is blamed for the struggling economy and the record inflation people are dealing with. Yet another similarity in parallel. And earlier this year, Erdogan faced backlash for what was considered a poor response to the massively devastating earthquakes in February. There are even allegations of corruption and negligence that allowed for violations of building codes and safety standards, which probably led to a higher death toll after the earthquakes. And this detail is pretty striking considering that a devastating earthquake is what actually helped Erdogan get elected back in 2002. Additionally, there have been growing concerns about Erdogan's autocratic posture over the years as he's cracked down on protesters, secularists, and the academic community writ large. I'm talking about burning and banning hundreds of thousands of books following an attempted coup in 2016. And as NPR put it, Erdogan, quote, methodically consolidated all branches of government under his authority. You know, 20 years in a position is a very long time for anybody, okay? So maybe it is time for him to bow out. So what will happen if Erdogan loses? 
If Erdogan loses, then Kalich Dualu will inherit an economic crisis, but he would have an opportunity to rebuild democratic institutions and standards in Turkey, including freeing a number of political prisoners. He would also have an outsized role in what happens next in Ukraine. You see, Turkey is a NATO member state, but since Russia started its invasion of Ukraine, Erdogan has been riding for Moscow hard, keeping up critical trade deals with Putin when other NATO members are united against Russia. With Erdogan out of office, though, that would mean that Putin would lose a key ally and he would face sanctions from Turkey. And this alignment with NATO would be a long time coming since Erdogan has made it his thing to disregard NATO commitments, which has left many nations in the West beyond frustrated. According to the New York Times, Carl Bildt, the former Swedish prime minister, said on Friday, we all want an easier Turkey. Well, that reality could come on May 28th, depending on how Turkey votes. And you better believe we will be watching. Absolutely. Thanks so much for that, Juanita. Now on to an update in the story about Jordan Neely, the unhoused man who was killed on a New York City subway over two weeks ago. So we already mentioned on Friday's show that the man who put Neely in a chokehold, Daniel Penny, was going to be charged with second degree manslaughter. Well, Penny actually surrendered to police later on Friday. And while he did appear in court, he did not enter a plea yet. After the hearing, Penny posted bail and was released. He also had to hand over his passport. Now, before we get into the details here, let's rewind a little bit. How exactly did we get here in the first place? Yeah, so on May 1st, Jordan Neely, who was an unhoused subway performer and Michael Jackson impersonator, was on the F train. According to reports, he started having a mental health crisis, yelling and acting, quote-unquote, erratically, when Daniel Penny, who is a 24-year-old Marine veteran, put him in a chokehold. To be clear, Neely had not physically attacked or harmed anyone But that chokehold, which Penny held for up to 15 minutes, led to Neely's death. A few days later, the medical examiner determined that Neely died of compression to his neck caused by the chokehold, and they ruled his death a homicide. Now, it took prosecutors over a week to announce their intent to charge Penny, and in that time, a whole lot of discourse was happening online about this story. Some folks noted the white privilege present in that Penny was questioned and released the night of the incident, and that it took what many feel is entirely too long to get to this point where charges seem likely. Others have noted how this situation represents how we as a society treat unhoused people poorly, you know, broadly speaking. And still others think Penny was justified in his actions. His lawyers, notably, are calling the action self-defense. And I say that's notable because, again, there are no reports that anyone was in any physical danger. That's the part I keep coming back to. And you can definitely put me in the group of people who are thinking this all took entirely too long. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned earlier that Penny surrendered to authorities on Friday, but he did not enter a plea before being released. Why is that? So he hasn't entered a plea because he has not yet been officially indicted by a grand jury. Prosecutors are still presenting evidence to a grand jury. And if the grand jury returns an indictment against Penny, prosecutors will then be able to proceed with a felony case. But of course, the decision to bring the charges against Penny before that happens is a sign that prosecutors are confident that the grand jury will return an indictment. Now, 
What the prosecutors have to prove here is kind of steep. It's not enough to prove that the chokehold led to Neely's death. We basically know that as much from the coroner's report, right? They must also show that Penny either intended to cause Neely's death or that Penny acted with quote-unquote depraved indifference, which is a tough standard to meet. They basically have to prove that he used deadly force without reasonably believing that Neely was doing the same or was about to. If convicted, Penny could spend up to 15 years in prison. And before we go, I want to note something else that I've seen pop up in conversations about this story, and that is the role of Mayor Eric Adams in all of this. Since the beginning of his administration, he has demonized and dehumanized New York's unhoused population while also cutting vital social services that could help them. And all of this has led to an overall escalation in the criminalization of the homeless. And so, you know, it's important for us to acknowledge the interconnectedness here and how Neely's killing is a symptom of so many other issues, right, that we also need to keep front of mind as this plays out. But that is the latest for now. We're going to go pay some bills and we'll be right back. What a Day is brought to you by Viore. Viore's performance wear clothes are designed to look great no matter what you're doing, both in and out of the gym. And they might be the most comfortable pants I've ever worn in my life. Buttery soft, yes. So soft. Yes. I have on one of their cropped sweaters, and it's a staple now. I don't think I'll be taking it off until next week. But don't judge me. (laughs) I won't judge you. And don't judge me for not working out, but wearing comfortable workout clothes. That is, I feel like, required. That's part of the beauty of Viore. On the couch, in the gym, it still works. I look like I work out (laughs) and like I dress cute when I work out. But in fact, I don't do either. And this is just me dressing normally. And comfortably. That's the flex, though, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. So for our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash wad. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash wad. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash wad and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. We're big fans of therapy on here, on the show. We absolutely are. Yeah. We absolutely are because, listen, you're going to need it, okay, to mm-hmm. get through this year ahead of us. And so why not check out BetterHelp to give you the the necessary coping tools, you know what I mean, just to be able to keep on keeping on, mm-hmm. all right? Mm-hmm. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash WAD today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash WAD. What a Day is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. and offers their 30-day alive and thrive guarantee, along with free plant consultation forever. Okay, so this weekend we started planting in our backyard. Mm -hmm. And we're doing some wildflowers. 
we're also doing some trees we bought from Fast Growing Trees. I would love to tell you what kind of trees they are, but I have already forgotten as soon as I bought them. However, they look great, and I'm very excited to have a backyard that makes it look like I know what I'm doing. Listen, I love Fast Growing Trees because these plants that I have now bought over the last couple years of them supporting this show, I would like to report they are still alive. Okay, and so I officially have a green thumb. You thanks do? Thanks to Fast Growing Trees. That is very impressive. <laughs> to keep them alive that long is very, very impressive. Right now, Fast Growing Trees, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code WAD at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code WAD at checkout fastgrowingtrees.com, code WAD. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Now let's wrap up with some headlines. Headlines. Things are quieting down in the Gaza Strip after Israel and the Palestinian militant group Islamic Jihad agreed to a ceasefire on Saturday. The truce, which was brokered by Egypt, ends a five-day stretch of fighting that left 33 Palestinians and two Israelis dead. The violence broke out last Tuesday when Israeli forces launched an airstrike that killed three of Islamic Jihad's commanders. Israel claimed that it was only targeting members of the group, but 10 civilians were caught in the crossfire, sparking outrage among Palestinians in the region. Islamic Jihad says it launched more than a thousand rockets in response, some reaching as far as Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Many Gaza residents took to the streets to celebrate the truce, but some worry that the violence will flare up again on Thursday when Israeli nationalists are expected to hold their annual Jerusalem Day march. The event commemorates the day that Israel captured Jerusalem's old city in the 1960s, and just two years ago, the anniversary touched off an 11-day war between Israel and the militant group Hamas. It's been a busy couple of days for Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, who has been crisscrossing Europe this weekend. On Friday, he met with Pope Francis at the Vatican, then sat down with Italy's Prime Minister, Giorgia Maloney, before jetting off to Germany and France on Sunday to meet with the leaders of those countries. And while in Berlin, Zelensky reiterated that his country's military is focusing on recapturing territory from Russian forces and is not planning on launching attacks on Russian soil. He was responding to a recent report from the Washington Post, which found that Ukraine may have been trying to hit Russian targets to force the Kremlin into peace negotiations. Those revelations were part of the trove of leaked documents that ended up on the messaging platform Discord earlier this year. And staying with Ukraine, though Swedish singer Loreen ended up winning this year's Eurovision, the spotlight this year was on the Ukrainian duo Tavorchi. Just moments before the electro-pop duo took to the stage on Saturday, Ukrainian officials confirmed that the group's hometown was hit by Russian missiles. Call us cynics, but it sounds like Putin is a little jealous that Russia hasn't been invited to the annual song contest since the invasion was launched last year.
You just heard North Carolina's Governor Roy Cooper publicly vetoing a 12-week abortion ban during a rally at the state's capital on Saturday. The veto, however, faces an override vote by the state's GOP supermajority in both legislative chambers. You can thank Representative Trisha Cotham for that mm. when she switched her party affiliation from Democrat to Republican last month. So if North Carolina Republicans get enough votes, and they likely will, they can override Cooper's veto and push the abortion ban through anyway. If passed, the bill would ban abortions after 12 weeks of pregnancy, except in instances of rape and incest. It could also make abortion even less accessible for folks traveling to North Carolina from nearby states with even more restrictive abortion laws. The show may not go on for the 76th annual Tony Awards. It won't be on television or stream this year. That's because the Writers Guild of America, which represents striking Hollywood writers, denied a waiver from the show's organizers that would have allowed the ceremony to air as scheduled on June 11th. The award ceremony is broadcast by CBS, which is one of the studios facing off against the union over a new contract. The producers of the Tonys will meet later today to weigh their options. The ceremony could continue as planned, but it wouldn't be televised. Or they could postpone the entire event until the strike comes to an end. And that seems like a really easy choice. You know, support riders, postpone it. Plain and simple. Mm -hmm. It isn't the first award show to feel the impact of the strike. The MTV Movie Awards was forced to do a scaled-back pre-taped show earlier this month after the WGA announced plans to picket the award show. And Drew Barrymore dropped out of hosting the show in solidarity with the Guild. Brittany Griner reunited with her Phoenix Mercury teammates on Friday and played in her first basketball game since her 10-month detention in Russia last year. The seven-time WNBA All-Star was seen stretching on the sidelines ahead of the Mercury's preseason game against the Los Angeles Sparks and was greeted with a huge ovation from the Phoenix home crowd. Mercury coach Vanessa Nygaard said of the moment, quote, just to see her back out there, it's an absolute miracle. Yep. 10 out of 10. Completely agree. Absolutely wonderful to see her back at it. And for her first game back, Griner came out strong, scoring a turnaround jumper early in the first quarter, and she finished with 10 points and three rebounds. Afterwards, she said that she felt a little rusty and wasn't quite satisfied with her performance, but given what she's had to go through this past year alone, it was a great night for her and her team. Griner will be back on the court next Friday when the team officially opens up the regular W. WNBA season in Los Angeles. Look, this was truly a bright spot this weekend for me because every minute she played was just magical. Like the fact that she's doing something she loves again, even though she says she feels rusty, you're going to get back to where you were, BG. I promise. But I'm celebrating every minute you're out on that court. Absolutely. You know, we covered her detention at length right on this show. Right. So definitely amazing to see her back at the game that she loves so much. And those are the headlines. That's all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, brace yourself for Brittany Griner's first dunk of the season, and tell your friends to listen. And if you're into reading and not just think pieces about Eurovision like me, What a Day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at crooked.com slash subscribe. I'm Juanita Tolliver. I'm Trayvell Anderson. And, and quit, quit being, being petty, petty Putin. Putin. Now we know, we know this man has <laughs> no ability to not be petty. Come on, look. Listen. He literally invaded an entire country twice. Exactly. Because this is so petty. Exactly. 
I don't know. We just better chalk it up to the game and expect more pettiness to come, Ooh, unfortunately. He's just truly incapable. What a monster. What a monster. <laughs> <laughs> what a Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Our show's producer is Itzi Quintanilla, and Raven Yamamoto is our associate producer. Jossie Kaufman is our head writer, and our senior producer is Lita Martinez. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Here, our waters are splashing and rejuvenating. Our history is for seeing and experiencing. Our theme parks are for riding and sometimes flying. And our great outdoors are yours for exploring and restoring. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace.